So I found a story here. It's another one of, the, one of these iPhone hacks, one of these viral TikTok clips. I can't remember. What was the last one that popped up in my news feed? It was accessibility. No. Uh, yes. It was the two taps. It was, it was tapping on the back of the phone. Oh, yeah. You remember this? Yeah. To take a screenshot or whatever. Many people were amazed by it. It was a viral clip. Just, it was a feature that had existed on iPhones for a period of time, but a lot of people obviously didn't know about it. Mm -hmm. So you get the comments mixed with on the original social post, OMG, uh, my life will never be the same, yep. mixed with, I've been doing this for like six years yeah. now. What's the matter with you? Yeah. You don't even know how to use your phone. Yeah. All right, you suck. Those, that's the mixture. Anyway, we have another one of those events take place. This uh, article posted, I guess, today. I don't know when the viral clip was posted. This particular hack allows you to hand over your iPhone to your kids to keep them occupied. And apparently this hack has, at this point, blown millions of minds. Millions of minds have been blown! Yeah. My my mind is blown. I watched this on TikTok. Like oh, you've already seen this? Maybe a week or two ago. Oh, okay, so you've seen this particular Very cool. hack. Very useful. So let me explain to you how it works. You hand over your device to, to, to a youngster or anybody that you want to have limited access to your phone. And you head into a setting called Guided Access. You can find this just by doing a simple search as is done in the viral clip. After you have gotten to the place where you want the phone to remain locked, then it's uh, it's simply a triple click on the sleep-wake button, which will then display the guided access has started message. And here is the clip in question. This guy, he blows the mind of his wife and apparently his children by enabling guided access. Watch the triple tap. Here it comes. So he goes to the Mickey Mouse Mickey Mouse and Donald have a farm. That has 100 plus million views, by the way. And starts to play it, goes into guided access, and then the thing is locked up. But, oh, by the way, there's other features inside of guided access that allow you to select specifically which buttons you want to be locked off and uh, if you want to have anything operating at all. So the maximum version of this is, look, no inputs. No inputs completely frozen phone so you hand it over to the child and they don't get all crazy sending messages and the dad is very excited celebrating about it. yeah the dad is very excited That's so a nice let nice me tell trip. you how this goes well oh, all you Jesus. have to do what <laughs> what is that even all you have oh, to do is post <laughs> like come on what it's oh. a dog no it's an animal or something look at the wrist the pause yeah yeah it's pause is that an ear what? I don't know. They're always messing with you, man, on TikTok. It's oh. 8.5 million views. Anyway, this goes on. It has 3.9 million likes. I think it has 25 million views. Simple feature. Obviously, people have figured out how to do a viral clip relating to uh, an iPhone-related hack, mm -hmm. so to speak, which is just a feature in the OS. And if you can land on one, it's going to blow up. It's just there's an audience for it. 
which obviously indicates that there's a number of people that are not currently utilizing the feature. Yeah. Because if you were utilizing the feature, then then this is not a clip that you're going to stick to for very long. You'd be like, you're going to swipe right past it because you're going to be like, oh, I do it all the time. Mm -hmm. So no matter how many complaints can exist in the comment section with people saying they already knew about this, it's not a hack at all, the view count and the like counter seems to indicate the opposite, that most people didn't know it existed. Yeah. Uh, and and it goes to show you just how comprehensive our devices are is that everybody can have them in their pockets at all times and potentially not utilize features which could be very useful to them oh yeah 25 million views the minds have been blown shout out to melissa jean 1223 who shared the parent hack on their iphone and created a series of responses and memes and follow-ups is your mind blown, Willie Do? It is, yeah. Willie Do's mind Very is blown. Very nice. It's all you need to know. Actually, the next story is kind of in the same line as far as a super useful feature which doesn't exist yet and will exist soon. Okay. But first, a word from our sponsor today. Hello Fresh, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for you to say hello to Fresh. Hi. I just made How's that it up. Going? They, that tagline is not in the <laughs> copy at all. I just I just made it up. Anyway, uh, we got a deal for you. It's 10 free meals, including free shipping. What is HelloFresh? This is the simplest way to make the fresh meals at home. They make it easy for people who maybe aren't even inclined towards chef stuff. Mm -hmm. Maybe not inclined towards the cooking. You can't screw this up, the HelloFresh stuff. Willie Do's nodding. He's like, yeah, I can screw, I can screw anything up. Well, No, I'm telling you, man, you can't yeah. screw it up. You could put together a chicken sausage spaghetti bolognese with zucchini and parmesan. You could put together a Frank's Red Hot Firehouse cheese burger with crispy fried onions, garlic potato wedges, and creamy ranch sauce. Or, if you're so inclined, it could be a sweet and smoky pork tenderloin with carrot, apple carrot slaw, mashed potatoes, and cherry sauce. Let me ask you something. Dinner is tonight. And you can only pick one of those three dishes. Which one are you going to take? Oh, definitely the cheeseburger. Wow. So I use this, oh. and the buns are great. Right. Something to do with their uh, their buns. They're great. They're so delicious. You got yourself a fresh bun. You so get to I'm choose. You get to choose between 23-plus mouth-watering recipes each week. You get to pick whichever ones you want to come to your door. A lot of this stuff is uh, you can make it in 30 minutes or less. Like I said, it's super easy. keeps you eating healthy keeps you involved at least a little bit in the kitchen and they use the fresh ingredients it's part of the name hello fresh super straightforward i've been using it for a while you've been using it yourself willie do mm -hmm. it makes cooking at home easy and fun and rewarding for sure and uh, what better way to get started than with 10 free meals how about that for a promo all you have to do is head to hellofresh.com slash later 10 and use the code lulater10 for 10 free meals, including free shipping. Once again, that's HelloFresh.com slash LouLater10. Plus, use the code LouLater10. HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. Don't forget to use the code LouLater10. Click the link down in the description if that's easier for you. Go get some free meals, ladies and gentlemen. All right, here's that feature I was talking about. Google Pixel phones may gain face-based auto-rotate with Android 12. This, huh. is, this is the simplest thing 
which is also, it's like, how is that not there yet? Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, why did it take so long? Your face is what matters, not the orientation of the phone. Your eyes are what matters. Uh Up until now, it's been the sensors inside the phone that just just, uh, analyze the orientation of the phone in order to determine whether it's going to be in landscape or portrait mode. Mm -hmm. So frequently, if you find yourself lying in bed reading your phone or on a couch or something, it's flippy flapping back and forth. Yeah. Moving that phone around. Oh. And then you're locking the auto-rotate uh, yeah, and unlocking the auto-rotate, yeah. and it is not user-friendly. Why not just Did you use say the f- flippy flappy? Yeah, I said flippy flappy, yeah. like flappy bird. Hmm. That's what I said. What a throwback that is. Flappy bird. Remember that game took off, and then the developer was like, I'm out, it's too much. Uh-huh. It was a fun game, leave me alone. And then it spawned all of the replicas. Yeah, yeah. Flappy this and flappy that. A lot of flaps. Did we just do, both do a chair adjustment at the same time? Were you you saw my chair adjustment and you were like, that looks pretty good. Yeah, right, it's right, contagious. Just myself over it's here. It's like yawning. Anyway, this is uh, this is technology, man. This is what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to just make things more seamless and do a good job of guessing what you what you actually want to do and and be faster and more convenient. And so. Android and Google, they're playing around with this idea that the front-facing camera, it's just analyzing the orientation of your face instead of sensors inside the phone. So if you do find yourself in the position where you're lying on your side, which is in bed or on a couch, Mm -hmm. and you have to read something on your phone and you're scrolling like this, but the phone is sideways. It's still portrait. It stays in portrait because it sees the orientation of your face, Willie Do. Great. Okay, so genius, genius feature. But you know there's got to be a but. And the but here is the privacy people who say, wait a sec, doesn't that mean my front-facing camera is essentially looking at my face 24-7? To which I say, absolutely. Uh And it's worth it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, look, they say... No flippy flappies anymore. No flippy flappies. They say that everything is going to be on the phone. Nothing's going to be sent to the server. Nothing's going to be saved. This is what they all say to us. Yeah. And we go, okay. I believe yeah, you. Yeah, we just accept it. Okay. Really. Sounds good enough to me. But who really knows? I don't know. Think about, for example, face unlock. It's constantly scanning for your face too, mm-hmm. at least uh, when you initiate it. I guess this is different because it is actually going to have to watch you all it's the time. You know what? Monitoring. It's not going to have to watch you every time because no. I think still it could act, and I don't know how the software would be implemented, but it could act in such a fashion where... It's the in-phone sensor first, and then the face reading override. So you start to move it in a direction. It's like, wait, check the face. Then scans oh. the face at that moment in which the orientation was scheduled to change based on the input. So accelerometer first. Yeah. And so then the face detection. I'm just saying yeah. it could be a two-stage. Could be. Yeah. Instead of having to scan your face permanently. But either way, you know they're going to make it optional, right? It would be a tap. You could decide. If you're more on the privacy side, you could disable the feature. If you're more on the convenience side, you could enable the feature. Hmm. Would you enable or disable Willie Do? I'll try it out. You'll try it out. You got nothing to hide. You got lots to hide. No. no. How about this? Samsung Pay is expanding to Bitcoin, Ethereum, and more cryptocurrencies. Oh. 
this is in line with a lot of stories we've been covering recently, Will. It seems, uh, it seems crypto's off to the races. We had MasterCard. We had BNY Mellon. Tesla. Uh, we had Tesla. We had uh, institutional investors, as they say, mm. if, you, if you're on the Bloomberg-type sites. They yeah. like to say institutional investors. Big timers. That's what I like to say. The whales. <laughs> yeah, that's the right. The whaleies. Big whales. Anyway, uh, it's hard to be a whale in Bitcoin. It's easy to be a whale in Dogecoin, from what I can gather based on my uh, superficial analysis. Anyway, Samsung Pay is going to team up with the likes of BitPay, an Atlanta-based startup claiming to be the largest provider of cryptocurrency payment services on the planet, and then processing through your pals over at MasterCard. Hmm. And the cool part about this is that BitPay only charges a 1% processing fee to merchants, which, believe it or not, Will, and I don't know if you know this, you know, I used to run a small-time retail operation, hmm. and now I have an e-commerce site for later case. Yep. And there's processing fees, man, for credit cards. Yeah. Upwards of about 3% for the fancy cards. And I'm talking about for on the merchant. transaction? Yeah, I'm talking about yeah. on the merchant side, up to 3%. So a lot of people got involved in crypto, like fees. What are all these fees? But it's like they're there. It's just op often absorbed by the merchant where you happen to be buying the thing mm -hmm. in the credit game when it comes to credit cards. So in American Express, for example, it could be up to 3%. And that's how those rewards are paid for. Mm. When a person is like, I want to use my card because I get my special, I don't know, travel uh, incentive. Movie ticket. In the movie. I don't even know. <laughs> what you, whatever you get. Yeah. What have I been getting recently? I mean, you can just the actually gas. with American Express, they'll just send you like uh, more money. They oh, yeah. They would just send you money on cards and stuff. I don't remember. Oh, okay. I don't that's remember. Good. I don't remember. But anyway, that's how those businesses operate. They run off those off of those transaction fees. And so 1% is actually less than what I was seeing. Uh, the regular Visa MasterCard stuff would be like 1.5. So I don't know if MasterCard comes in and still takes a little piece, but either way, the way this works is you don't have to worry about all that. You're just going to use your Samsung Pay. You're going to put in which is what is essentially a virtual MasterCard kind of, oh. a virtual credit card, which would live in your list of Samsung Pay cards to pay with, mm -hmm. except one of them, would it would be tapped into your BitPay, which would then, on your end, you'd be paying crypto. On the merchant end, hmm. they would be accepting it as a credit card payment, which would ha which would have been exchanged in real time at the time of transaction interesting so much the same way that i think mastercard plans on implementing it uh what's nice here is they actually called out certain crypto in the sense of uh, calling out bitcoin ethereum and bitcoin cash payments among others when mastercard first brought up the idea of not the idea but the commitment to crypto they didn't specify an actual mm -hmm. coin uh, they later referred to Bitcoin at some point, which obviously would be included as the leader, but you get curious about which other coins yeah. might be supported. And so this looks to be uh, somewhat comprehensive. So an advantage here, I suppose, for Samsung Pay, when it lost one of my favorite advantages, which was the MST functionality, mm -hmm. which would work on any tap system or non-tap system, magstrip type module or uh, what are they called? Terminals. Mm -hmm. Uh, but now they got, got back some kind of advantage here by being a bit early on crypto. Now, that doesn't mean that BitPay can't go make deals with... I mean, if, if it's a MasterCard BitPay collab 
and MasterCard can create the virtual cards, then presumably you could get them into Google Pay. Presumably you could get them into Apple Pay too. Yeah. It's only a matter of time mm -hmm. if there's a way to transact with the merchants and do the real-time exchanges. Yeah. 1% is great. 1%. Yeah, 1%. Who's mad at 1%? Here's a report. OnePlus Nord series is pushing the brand to record highs in the U.S. They came to the U.S. in a big way. They finally cut some deals, you know, in recent years with a few carriers, which is important in the U.S. market. You may recall with the flagship products, they were able to get into T-Mobile in a big way. And with the Nord product, they were able to get into uh, Metro by T-Mobile, which Metro is the sort of budget lineup. And Nord being a budget phone, but having the OnePlus association has apparently attracted a number of buyers. Uh, the Nord phones helped OnePlus reach 15% market share at that particular carrier, Metro, which is the highest share OnePlus has ever had at any U.S. network. Oh. Right? That's against all those other players that exist on all those other networks. They also came out and said they're doing really well. Uh, with T-Mobile, but they didn't actually state T-Mobile, the, ma the uh, major brand, but they didn't state exactly what their market share was looking like within those stores. Metro typically sells between 15 and 16 million smartphones annually. And that means, if you look at the percentage, that over 2 million Nord phones could be sold this year if OnePlus, if OnePlus maintains the same momentum. That's a lot of phones. Mm -hmm. In the U.S. market which is a relatively new place for, well, certainly at least at the carriers for OnePlus. Mm -hmm. Previously, you know, you'd have to buy the device directly, ship from them, and they didn't have much of a carrier play. They didn't have any carrier play at all. Now, here's, the, here's a key factor with Metro specifically, though. They offer the Nord N10. There's a ghost over there, by the way. Cool. They offer the Nord N10 and N100 for free when you switch to them as your carrier. So this analysis seems to believe that that's a key factor, which it would be. And they're trying to incentivize people to switch to the network. Hmm. And it's not such a bad device to get for free if you switch over to the network. Yeah. So that's kind of, a, that's gotta be a contributor. But OnePlus continues to make moves and at least they have a budget product. I'm not sure about how they went about the branding and what the perception is. I know in the tech community, it feels like there's a lot of OnePlus devices now yep. to keep together, but ultimately more options and more affordable devices is hmm. obviously important. Uh, speaking of market share, Mac market share has, uh, has grown pretty significantly. However, this particular article, 9to5Mac, showcases how well Chromebooks have done given the shifting world situation with uh, lockdowns and people being at home and all the rest of it. And it kind of makes sense to me. Now I knew Macs were doing okay as people rushed to, to, to upgrade what their setups looked like at home because they were just at home now. Mm -hmm. And so you can imagine in, uh, getting a, an improved computer. So Mac market share grew from 5.8% to 7.7% from Q1 to Q4. But if you look at what Chromebooks did, you're talking about a 400% increase. Market share rose from 5.3% at the beginning part of this comparison to 14.4% by the end of the year, twice the share of Mac OS, 
14.4% of the entire market of PC sales, Chromebooks. Hmm. And so, I mean, I know where my speculation goes. I assume a lot of this, and, and I'm only speaking because I have kids. I have to assume a lot of this is all the students that had to hop on to uh, to the Zoom classes yeah. and had to hop on to the Google Google Docs and things like this. Yeah. Chromebook is the simplest, cheapest way in many cases for that to take place in a household. So what I'm thinking is maybe it's not so much upgrades, but making sure every person in the house has their own laptop. Accessible. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and in that case, because I know my kids are always saying to me, you know, I just th throw them whatever laptop. Mm -hmm. But they're always saying to me, you know, everybody has a Chromebook Yeah. at that age group. You know, uh, when you're talking about like 10-year-olds, it's, it's a lot of Chromebooks. Uh -huh. And they need them. It's yeah. absolutely not optional now in the modern environment where basically the whole schooling, when the schools are closed, it went to the to the dining room table. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Just got pushed to technology. That's it, man. Technology, technology kind of wasn't so bad for technology, no. this whole situation. And I guess with the price point, I mean, all you would need is Zoom and a little bit of word processing. It's all Google not. Docs. Everything they do is Google Docs. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, they have Drive and they have uh, all the projects. And I was watching, uh, I was watching him mess around in, in Docs. And I'm like, this guy's better in Docs than I am. Yeah. Over here. He's just dragging and dropping from other tabs. And I'm like, oh, you don't even need. Like everything is Chrome. He's on spreadsheet. Like you're just doing taxes. everything in, inside of Chrome. Like you really yeah. don't need an OS for most of what you do. I mean, yeah, exactly. obviously everybody's different, but for school type tasks, it's Chromebook is mm -hmm. gets things done. Now there, I'll, I will tell you, there's a reason why this isn't completely a fair comparison, because Apple will sell a lot of students iPads too. Yeah, there's usually a discount. And, and, and so that's not included in the Mac analysis, whereas Google oh. only sells the Chromebook. Now, I don't know which is better for the student. I know Apple will tell you an iPad is better than a Chromebook. But what I see with my eyes is a lot of Chromebooks. Hmm. And I think part of it is cost, but also there's a perception that work has to get done on a laptop. Right. And uh, an iPad might be a little bit too much fun or too consumption-based. I'm, I'm not saying I necessarily agree with that. I know people who do tremendous things exclusively on the iPad. What I am saying, though, is I'm just talking about a general public perception, perception, which does seem to be represented to a certain extent in the figures. A screen with a keyboard. A screen with a keyboard together. means work. Yeah. For the most part, yeah. Anyway, uh, another important part of this, uh, about this data, is that Windows took a dip. So it may not be that Chromebooks even bit into what Apple's doing. It may be that it just snagged it from Windows, that people move away from Windows. Hmm. Windows... Uh, over this same period went from 87.5% market share to 76.7. And that's actually the first time Windows has dropped below 80% in decades. Wow. So they may have just taken a little bit of market share over there from Windows. Mm. Kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of Apple and what they're doing with their own silicon upcoming MacBooks that may tempt buyers... We got this M1X chipset, which was spotted on a benchmark site. And this could be this could be the chip that you see coming out in those higher powered machines, maybe in an iMac, maybe in a MacBook Pro, something like this, because, well, obviously you already have the M1 in the uh, more budget-minded products, the 13-inch uh, 
Well, I guess the 13-inch MacBook Pro yep. and the 13-inch MacBook Air, but I'm speaking specifically of the larger MacBook Pro, which is mm. waiting for its M1 treatment. So this pops up on a benchmark site, and if you actually go to the next tab over, you'll see, now, for the record, there's a little warning at the top. It says, the information shown below is based on a pre-sample. Technical details or benchmark results may be different in a final version of this processor. So take it for what it's worth but here's some of the specs what we see uh frequency of 3.2 gigahertz 12 cpu cores all right so right now we're eight and eight right you have eight cpu cores eight gpu cores on the m1 this steps you up to 12 co cpu cores and if you scroll down to the graphics that's 16 cores uh, if you look at the gpu name apple m1x 16 core with 16 gigabytes of GPU memory. Holy smokes. That, I mean, you can just imagine what kind of performance you might be looking at considering how frantic the entire community got over the M1 on its own. Mm. You start looking at an M1X, which takes you from eight cores on the CPU to 12 and eight cores on the GPU to 16. Mm. Very impressive. I mean, it's, again, it's early stuff. Look at the max displays as well. Three. That's interesting. Oh. Three displays. I wonder at what resolution. Yeah. Huh. GPU frequency also 3.2 gigahertz. So, yes, we all know it's going to happen. They will transi transition completely, uh, with the only exception being the large Mac Pro, which will stick to Intel. But everything else, the rumored little Mac Pro, the rumored MacBook Pro 15 or bigger and maybe even a 14, and then also IMAX. 14 and a 16, maybe? 14, 16, also IMAX, mm. right? Yeah. The IMAX is awaiting its chip. So actually, I believe if you scroll down, it does seem to indicate which models could receive this treatment over here. Uh, devices using this processor, they have the Apple MacBook Pro 14 2021, Apple MacBook Pro 16 2021, and Apple iMac 27 2021. I mean, cool. that's what they're indicating here. But remember, CPUMonkey.com, I mean, it's super early stuff. But stay tuned, I suppose. Another thing Apple did recently, they updated some emoji, including the one that most a lot of people sent me or I saw being talked about, the syringe changed. Oh. I don't know if you noticed this, but the previous syringe had the blood involved. It was blood inside the syringe and then two drops from the tip of the point. Yeah, that's very specific. Which is sort of more inclined towards... Uh, Surgical? No, like uh, uh, having blood taken, having blood drawn. Yeah. Right, for a blood test. Uh-huh. The new one, you can tell it's a more generic... When you pull the when you have the blood taken out, now you're thinking more injection. Uh you see one is extraction, the other's injection. Yeah. Huh, I didn't really notice that. And the reason being, the speculation here is that by going with the more generic one, it can be used for more functions as an emoji because now you can talk about vaccines. Mm. Because it's everyone's talking about COVID vaccines. And the other syringe really doesn't indicate yeah. that you're receiving a vaccine. Uh -huh. Subtle stuff, but yeah, uh, that seems to be the motivation there. Now, less colorful, 
maybe less personality mm -hmm. in the new one that we're looking at here, but you kind of understand where they're coming from, yeah. I suppose. They also added other stuff. Uh, more skin tones, a bearded man, and also a bearded woman. Uh, is there <laughs> an emoji for that? Is that right? I don't know you? if it's in this article, but apparently, according to the headline, okay, you've got all kinds of beard options, which you know I need this type of stuff. Well, yeah. I need this type of stuff. Here's an exclusive story. Apparently, Amazon deployed a secret strategy to dodge India's regulators, documents show. Mm. You know Amazon been trying to make moves in India. Huge new market. Uh, well, not that new but growing, obviously. And Amazon recognizes that there's a big competition there. To, you know, they're trying to get a foothold. Hmm. And, and apparently there were some restrictions in place that were, that were shifting that where the government was attempting to protect small sellers against big foreign entities coming in and pushing them around. Like Amazon. And pushing them out. Yeah. Now, Amazon, they come in and they say, no, 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 no. We're going to enable these small yeah, sellers. We embrace them. They come on our platform. Mm -hmm. No problemo. Everybody gets lifted up. We make their lives easier. We're a platform, right? Yeah, just a framework. That's really. it. We're the, we don't want to be involved in anything else. Although I will just say as, as, a, as an Amazon user, when I see a small seller, I can't help it. I have less confidence than when I see it's shipping from Amazon and it's next day. It's always next day mm. with the Prime and everything else. When they warehouse it. And I understand they take a fat fee for it. And I don't know that it necessarily always works out for the seller. This scenario or even the economy when you centralize the thing and you have fewer players. But certainly from a customer perspective for now, maybe I pay a little bit more. I don't know. Right. You don't know all the competitive things that take place as a consequence. But anyway, so they went over and said that. But then this report seems to indicate that that's not actually what happened. And that a very small number of sellers ended up accounting for the majority of sales in India. 33 Amazon sellers accounted for about a third of the value of all goods sold on the company's website in early 2019. The documents show another two big sellers, merchants, in which Amazon had indirect equity stakes accounted for around 35% of the platform's sales revenue in early 2019. That meant some 35 of Amazon's more than 400,000 sellers in India at the time accounted for two-thirds of its online sales. So small number of sellers ended up actually owning all those sales. And of those that small number of sellers, Amazon was actually invested in a bunch of them, mm. meaning they were intimately involved in those transactions and invested in those transactions, which, again, kind of centralizes that power around one vendor even if that vendor happens to be invested in a number of other vendors, those are still kind of their vendors, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So there's some criticism here that they didn't actually do the thing that they had claimed that they would do, and they kept on making moves around the regulations, finding ways to still control a variety of aspects, uh, even when the regulation existed in an attempt to stop that from happening. That's the report, at least, mm -hmm. okay? But a lot of this comes down to your perception on, uh, you know, what what actually makes sense around what your ex expectations versus reality as an end user. 
you know, like I just said, it's if I'm on the website, if I'm on Amazon.com, how I perceive that variety of sellers, like there's other mechanics involved. Even if Amazon did the things that they said, it may also be that buyers gravitate towards big sellers. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yep. You know, these effects yeah. that take place, like if, even if I'm on eBay and I see a big seller with a ton of feedback rating or whatever, I'm more inclined to now buy. Yeah. Ease and, of use, reliability. It just, it's a, it's an effect that Convenient. takes place in all kinds of marketplaces. So there are other things that are, that are, uh, could be contributing factors. Uh, Amazon, on the other hand, they say it's helping, they're helping small and medium businesses in India grow and that they now have over 700,000 sellers on its platform. Uh, and Bezos announced that the company would spend $1 billion more dollars to bring businesses online in the country. So he's saying, no, 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 we're still doing it. Mm -hmm. Give us a chance. We're still doing it. Chill out. Epic is taking another avenue, another approach in their battle with Apple. We reported yesterday about uh, the North Dakota situation, <laughs> the unlikely battleground initial battleground stage. Mm -hmm. And Epic was on the short end of that one. Mm -hmm. Now they're going to try their luck elsewhere, launching this antitrust complaint in the EU instead, following their action that's been taken elsewhere. They've now taken action in the US, UK, Australia, and, and obviously now. It's a global war. It is global. And they're actually not looking for any kind of compensation. They just want the situation to change. Obviously, their proposal is to offer customers uh, other opportunities to interact with the apps that they love through a variety of app stores or payment processors, which is not currently available to them. I presume Apple's defense will be the same in the EU as it has been elsewhere, suggesting that they are the only ones maintaining that app store and making sure it's a safe and wonderful place and therefore they don't have to allow these things on a platform and that these pla that these alternatives would potentially ruin the platform mm -hmm. but we'll see what the eu thinks of it maybe they side with epic and uh, things get spicy i don't know mm. how about this will i don't know if you ever heard about these fancy type of toilets that you would have in japan it's a, it's a well-known fact that the Japanese toilets are the ones you want. Yes. These are the toilets going to do all kinds of fancy activities. Yes. And different buttons and heaters and water uh, laser-guided water jets and just top-of-the-line type toilets. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the problem with these toilets is when you have so many controls and buttons and things on there, it's a lot of germs. Yes. That are going to be... People... <laughs> People are sitting there having a time on their fancy Japanese toilet. They're touching 17 buttons, uh -huh. smearing all their stuff all over the place. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, somebody's Smearing. they're trying to solve it. And okay. the way they want to solve it is with holographic buttons. You see the toilet itself, certain mm -hmm. amount of hygiene already going on there. You're not really touching much. But the button is the thing they want to target. Uh. And it's not, I mean, in this case, it's to upgrade smart toilets. But it has implications in other industries because no one wants to touch anything right now with the whole COVID. Uh -huh. So anyway, these holographic uh, buttons are kind of like a projection. Would allow you to tap on a variety of features on the high-tech toilet without tapping anything. Uh -huh. You would just cross a threshold in the holographic section and it would enable that feature, a button floating in the air, essentially. I can tell you're a big fan of this type yeah, of thing. Yeah, this is very cool. 
because uh, one of my experiences going to Japan and trying out one of these toilets was very. It can get very complicated. the The buttons are completely in Japanese, and I I don't know what I was pressing. So maybe with these holograms, um, it could have like a UI that could be a different language, based on uh, you know, what they program in it. This holographic display technology, it breaks up a projected image using a series of tiny mirrors and then refocuses them into a reconstituted image that ap appears to float in midair. Infrared sensors are able to detect the presence of fingers without them having to make physical contact. The result is a series of glowing buttons that don't actually exist but still can be activated through touching them. So... Never mind just toilets. If they knock this out of the park, it's all kinds of interfaces. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about it, Will, even if you go, uh, I don't know, to the convenience store, to the gas station, to the there, maybe you don't have tap at a certain place and you have to hit buttons. Or I guess at the gas station, you have to pick, select at least which gas you're going to get. Sure. Even if you have tap. Yeah. But that could be a hologram. Too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm just giving you different places yeah. in which kiosks that you have to like uh -huh. use to navigate amusement parks. Yeah. I'm just putting all the holographic buttons all over the world. Yes. It's a really neat idea. And this uh, this company can figure out how to sell it to you. How about this for another advancement? Why not get your own 3D printed house, Willie Do? Uh, yeah. Printed... Cool. In just days, a New York firm has taken 3D printing to the next level. They are using a giant 3D printer, which is essentially, I mean, it looks almost exactly like a plastic 3D printer. They just put concrete instead. Yeah, it's working within layers. Layers of concrete up. bonded to one another. And it doesn't look half bad. Uh-huh. And uh, Need some sanding, though. You want some sanding. <laughs> you see a lot of ridges. Are you telling me that... On the outside, it looks fine. The inside... Are you telling me that you, this couldn't become a style that you'd be willing to accept? Look at the price the point. style? Look at the price point. For that kind of... $299? $299,000. Sure. You know what? I'm sold. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Forget it. I don't mind the ridges. You take the ridges price. at that price point. Anyway, uh, so they went over here and and uh, picked like this test site. They have another one listed for sale right now hmm. on uh, for two hundred ninety nine thousand on Zillow. The company is called SQ4D, and they just wanted to show here what was possible. This house that they built has a detached garage and it's fourteen hundred fourteen hundred square feet. The footings, foundation, and slab, along with the walls, are entirely made with the three D printer. So it oh, and there's a mini house. Yeah, that's, that's the mini layout. Too. You pick the rooms. That's the thing. It's a level of customization to it as well, right? Yeah, for sure. Because you're just 3D printing it. You're right. Maybe you want to change the look a little bit. I don't know about the sanding. I don't think sanding concrete is all that fun, especially indoors, but it's possible. It's possible if you don't like the look. I think from the outside, it looks great. Yeah, looks like a normal house. It looks fine to me. So they're doing this up in uh, in the, uh, I guess it's in upstate New York or somewhere in New York. They claim that this is 30% cheaper overall than a home built using standard construction methods. And the printing time for the walls took only 48 hours. It was an eight-day process to build the entire home. Wow. Eight days, man. <laughs> That's kind of amazing.
That's wild. Sometimes we we could spend eight days on a video. Uh huh. This guy got a house <laughs> in eight days. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's He's living comfy. Eight days is not a long time. So, anyway, maybe you're not convinced. I think it's promising. And uh, we'll see if it's the future or not. Maybe maybe only for a small scale. It's Calverton, New York, where this one is built. Let me see where that is. Am I right? Is that upstate somewhere? Or is it on Long Island? Where is it? Oh, it is. It is on Long Island. Huh. I take that back, what I said. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Kind of, uh, kind of far out there on Long Island. But maybe that's why you can get it for 299000 I don't know. Hmm. Uh, how about this, Will? Learning how to drive in an AI simulator. This is how most people are doing it, or at least a lot of people increasingly are doing it in China. They're not even getting out on the road. They just do it like this. What do you think about that? Okay. Like, it's a pretty nice simulator. You got the ultra wide. Uh -huh. Yeah. And, uh, they, they, uh, of course, when you're inside the simulator, you can get a much more precise scoring of your activities. And it's more consistent. It's going to be consistent, and uh, the footprint is much less than having all these physical cars. You can have a, you can train a lot more people in a smaller area, mm -hmm. and with fewer instructors. What are you laughing about? <laughs> Willie, he's got some. He's chuckling. He's I mean, giggling. I would immediately like put on the pedal and just. You're tempted go all to out just play like a video like, game. No, no, <laughs> Will, you're being graded on this Fail thing, immediately. man. Being graded I, on this yeah, thing. I like to see the simulation. Uh, so busted, there's so many people that need to be trained in driving right now yeah. in China. It's so many people that can't meet the demand yeah. with uh, with the regular driving school and or the cost associated with it to get every single vehicle up and running. Uh, this project here is called Lazy Cat, and it launched in June of last year based on data collected from real test cars. This simulation customizes training plans based on users' performance at each session, and users can also simulate driving along different routes and under various weather conditions. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't mind it. I think it's kind of a cool idea, and it saves having all these extra cars on the road, too, yeah. which are just out there for training. You know, right. whenever you see the training car, you get nervous around it because yeah. you're like, uh, they're driving super slow, and it's not such an issue around here with the density, but you can imagine a dense environment. It could actually be a little bit... Uh, well, yeah, it would add to the congestion is what I'm trying to say. So anyway, hmm. they're doing this instead. Some people love it. Other people are less into it, uh, particularly the uh, the trainers themselves, the teachers themselves. They say, you're trying to get rid of me over here. I right. got these skills. I've been working with people. it would be people. the AI that would be testing. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. So Yeah, that's that kind of sucks. I guess, yeah. they. Uh, but these things are cool. I don't know. Maybe we'll see it implemented elsewhere in the world. Uh-huh. I don't know if you heard about this, but there's a new rover. It's going to land on Mars. The kids told me about this one. I think Mark Rober made a new video about it. Mm. Uh, you know, NASA doing NASA stuff, sending rovers to Mars. Doesn't happen all that often. It's a lot of work, Willie Do. A lot of work goes into this thing. And in order to celebrate Krispy Kreme, are they going to put out their own Mars donut? Oh. And I knew that would get your attention. Yeah. And well, yeah. you could tell that it is, it looks like Mars. They've done a great job there. They have the picture of it is in outer space as it would be. And it is to, the rover, by the way, called Perseverance is going to 
land on Mars. It's scheduled to land on Mars thir this Thursday. Wow. Celebrate, man. Talk about a project. Uh, how you would feel after you worked on that uh -huh. for so long and then you see it touch down. Holy uh -huh. moly. Anyway, the Mars donut to celebrate is going to have caramel icing and chocolate cookie crumbles. Oh, I'm sold. This is great. <laughs> Already. I'll be eating this while I watch the uh, I landing. think that is absolutely the perfect plan. Yeah. Shout out Krispy Kreme. Shout out NASA. And uh, shout out Mars.